This is the Arts Undone podcast, an exploration of all things art, covering aesthetics, theory, markets, and meanings. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Schwartz. This week, I had a fascinating conversation with my friend and colleague, Fernie Manrique Aragon. Fernie is an amazing photographer who is quite passionate about his craft and is somebody I feel really understands the conflict sometimes, but also the symbiosis between the practicality and physicality of art making, along with the aspects of art making that involve the intellect and theory. So a bit about Fernie. He's based in China and has been working on photography for more than a decade. As the tool, he prefers analog photography, that one in which he finds himself fully immersed in the symbiotic nature of being absent or present before the object and subject. And this is something we'll discuss in our conversation. His body of work mainly focuses on street photography. However, because of the unique essence of film photography, Fernie consistently experiments with chemical processes in film development and in the physical mechanisms of the camera itself. Further research has pushed him to scrutinize composition concerning frame and time, pushing the boundaries of what the frame encapsulates. By doing so, the full extension of the negative plays a fundamental aspect in the act of image making as a form of representation, as well as an apprehensive response to perception. In this conversation, Fernie and I discuss all manner of things related to photography. In particular, I find interesting our look at the difference between digital and analog, and this idea of embodiment, the physical act of creating a photograph. I hope you'll find it as interesting as I do. A quick note about the audio quality. We had to record this interview in a conference room on the college campus where Fernie and I both work. Um, And so it's not quite to the same level that I would normally like. Nonetheless, uh, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I think it was very meaningful and very interesting. Without further ado, here is Fernie Manrique Aragon. Okay, um, so I'm here with Fernie. How are you doing, Fernie? Hey, thanks for having me here. It's all good. All good. <laughs> good. So I would love to hear your thoughts about uh, the difference between analog and digital. And I know you much. You seem to prefer being an analog photographer, working with real film, real materials, quote unquote, real. Yes, indeed. Uh, yeah. So, can you talk a little bit about why that is your preference, your experience with that? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, my first approach to photography, my first encounter was actually film photography in university. So, um, you know, back. Back in the day, we just learned the uh, process. Then around 2004, I got my first uh, digital camera, and I thought, wow, this is great, I can take 2,000 pictures. <laughs> uh, so did I. Isn't that a revelation when you realize you don't have to buy film? 
It is. <laughs> it's having this like, okay, now, I, I don't have about 230 pounds with that camera. Um, and I thought, wow, this is great. I mean, it's expensive. Mm -hmm. I don't have to pay for chemicals or film. Right. Or, you know, be worried about destroying or damaging film or, you know. Right. The normal stuff that happened with, with uh, analog uh, photography. And I think I just shot uh, digital for so many years. Uh, like when I, whenever I went traveling or, you know, like normal stuff or studio. Um, but then, uh, I remember one day something hit me, it's like, okay, you have an entire hard drive full of pictures that you've never reviewed. Hmm. And then I, as much as I tried, I said, okay, that, I'm, I'm going to check these SD cards. So I started with one SD card and I ended up with two or three, 64, 120 GB and it was all full. And it's like, at some point I thought, oh God, I mean, what is this? You know, I'm not, I don't know what I'm doing. It's like I'm shooting, shooting, just trigger happy. Yeah. And that's it. So I thought, okay, I'm gonna do, I'm just gonna limit myself to 24 pictures using digital. So I started shooting uh, 36, 24 sometimes. Sometimes I went up to 50, let's say, but I wanted to have a limited amount of, of, of images. It's not about, <clears throat> the capacity of the SD card is not what, what I want to do. And then one day I thought, oh yeah, I remember, I, I did a pinhole with the digital camera. So I just uh, covered, removed the lens, covered with cardboard, just the whole process. Right. And I thought, this is fun. This is like the old stuff, but without the, the film, the, the negative. And I started doing, uh, small uh, pinhole cameras and uh, yeah my sister was also doing that and she actually got me to go back into, into uh, pinhole and then I thought okay it's gonna be 35 minutes and I had mm, mm, my dad's camera so I picked pick it up and started shooting and <clears throat> yeah um, that's one thing the other thing is that I remember travel to Japan and I had this really nice Canon Mark D3. I had a Canon A1 program, analog, and I was traveling and I was like, why do I have this digital camera? It's just heavy, it's bulky. I don't want it. I just want the, the film. And I know it sounds like what well, was the point of shooting film if you can do uh, digital? And the point is that I think, or actually I think, the digital sometimes I don't, don't, don't really think, and don't really know what I'm doing, because I can do it, so I do it. Right. We feel like there's always that risk of, there is not one, but the entire, entire film. Yeah. And, and that's what got me back to, to analog. I don't have anything against digital. Right. Like, what I do now is, uh, um, I back up my shots with the telephone. So I take any picture with the analog and just do two, two or three shots with the um, telephone just in case. Hmm. But I hardly ever use the telephone because they stay there. 
So yeah, and that's 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 the reason I came back to shooting. Then developing, then processing is just uh, it's engagement that I find very attractive. And it, it's, it's not immediate. And it seems like there's an element of risk, right? Like when you have a film camera, you can mess it up. Like not just that shot, but the entire roll. Yeah. Um, and so there's a sort of, I don't want to say delicate, but there's a purposiveness, right? There you, can, you have to really know what you're doing, yeah. um, to a degree. Like experimentation is fine, but you know, like you kind of have to know your camera setup, and you kind of have to know, you have to have an idea um, of what's going on. Whereas like with a dig digital camera, I can take a thousand images in a second, and yeah. um, <clears throat> And it's all very disposable, right? It, it feels very disposable. It is. And awesome. so you think that that's something that sort of, there's an element of risk with, uh, with analog. Uh, I, love, I love the fact that you mentioned the risk, because the risk is, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's real. It's, it's, it's not, it's not <clears throat> a hypothetical risk. Is there, is there, yeah. I mean, any factor, you know, the pool development, expired, in expired film, expired um, chemicals. But on the other hand, that risk sometimes adds to a picture. Like, like, right. like, okay, there was a mistake here or what, but mm, that still looks good. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's so many factors in developing that we cannot really control. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't. And, and, and that's the playfulness of, of that. You know? I, mean, so I, I often compare create, creative or creative, the act of creating with the act of cooking. There's some something you can control. Yeah. There's something else that you cannot control, and that's the beauty of it. It's like you work towards a visual output that is also the satisfaction of oh wow. And the frustration that oh this is it's <laughs> yeah. terrible, mm. but that you know that's that, that keeps my head engaged into the whole process. Plus, you have to be focused on that. Yeah. You know, developing. Yeah, um, you know, I remember when I was in art school, in my first like photography class, I was using my I borrowed my grandmother's Nikon camera. And I was eating ramen noodles to afford film. And like I had a little notebook, like ISO settings and stuff like that, because like I could afford this one roll of film and I better make good pictures or I'm going to fail or, you know, whatever. Yeah, there's uh, an attentiveness and also I think an exhilaration when you're in the dark room and you pull that print and it's, ah, yeah, that's what I want. You know, I think that's like real, the real birth of an image when you see the transparency, mm -hmm. the shades, and oh, but the fact that you know the tail end is usually grey or dark, and then you see oh, and then you pull the, the film and you say oh wow, yeah, but wait, let it dry, wait, you still need to wait. There's that patience to it, right? Still like this, and I and I think at least for me, like digital cameras have made me very impatient because like I have my little screen, I can pull up that picture immediately. Oh, I don't like this. Um, 
and and also it means like I don't ruminate on an image like I might have an image uh, that kind of grows on me over time or I realize mm -hmm. there's some potential there I could play with it but in digital there's this yes no yes no it's very <clears throat> binary uh, yeah. uh, keep delete um, kind of throw things out um, but you know I want to talk a little bit about uh, just you know the process of having a digital camera uh, finding image, the performative aspect of it. Um, and so uh, I know you've described the act of, of photography as an embodied yeah. process. Um, so maybe we could talk a little bit about sure. that. Sure. Um, I mean, what I, what I mean by embodiment is uh, the analog photography. Well, I guess digital as well, but you can make mistakes with digital. Sure. You know, well, you can make mistakes with analog as well, but you know, mistakes with the picture and then take another one out of 200. With analog, you cannot afford that, you know, you have to actually think. And what I mean by the embodiment is that, let's say, perhaps uh, something a bit technical here, you're, let's say, shooting uh, with the 100 ISO. And then you need to go, you know, with digital, you can switch the ISO anytime. With the analog, okay, you gotta go below 60, 30, 15. Okay, that's where your body actually needs to control everything, mm. ground yourself properly, control your body, shoot. You can still fire with short uh, uh, the 15 of a second. That's not a problem, 30. 60 is the, the, the rule, but you can go below that, and that's if you know how to control your body. Yeah. Even if it's a little bit moved, sometimes it adds to the picture. Mm -hmm. That's a lot. So that's what I mean by embodiment. The, the act of uh, working with the camera and um, being really an extension of your body. It's a kind of. <clears throat> It's not well on, it's just a, a, attached somehow. Like, uh, and that, okay, that takes me to another point that I'm very interested about, and um, that is the computational way of thinking versus the analog, which is a human mm -hmm. way to think mm -hmm. and see, to sense, to feel. Uh, very phenomenological. And uh, the rule, for instance, the rule for looking at light at the sunny 16, so it's one thing that you need to know, and then you move around, but you need to think with your eyes and your brain. The camera just, you switch on the lot and say, okay, that's the speed, that's the ISO, uh, mm -hmm. and you go print it up. So you, you know, in a way you become the tool. Yeah. With, with the analog, the tool is always the machine. You know, you, you can't push it. Of course, digital, you can but it's, to me it's much easier just to ignore the fact that you have to need to think. Now, how many times the reading of light from the digital is wrong? Mm. It is wrong because uh, maybe you, you know, the area behind the subject is too bright. You need to know what that means. Obviously a photographer knows that, but the camera just can't sense that, so you need to all the adjustment. But yeah. you want the digital, you know, you know what's happening, and you can manipulate that. Mm -hmm. The camera just gives you very general uh, uh, data, 
Basically, uh, these cameras that I have, they don't have a light metering system. They just basically press the button if you know what you're doing. <laughs> and that's it. And, and they don't even use batteries or anything. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's just absurd that that is there, you know, the, the yeah. technology of, you know, 100 years is still there and it's still, uh, you know, Side, side by side with the latest technology. So, yeah. So the part of the body is, 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 is important to me. Like I mentioned before, it's not like a drone photography that you manipulate with your fingers. And, right. I mean, you are looking through a telephone, whatever the drone is capturing. It's just a very mechanical mm -hmm. uh, thing. Same, same with digital. Uh, so, yeah, that's one of the reasons I, I like it. Yeah, I and I think that's, that's interesting when you look at that in relation to the history of photography, right? Like, so the very earliest photographic processes uh, where the cameras were gigantic and they were really heavy. You had one shot on like a glass or tin plate or whatever. And yeah, I, I try to imagine sometimes being a uh, being Talbot or somebody doing this weird magical chemistry and then putting this uh, sheet in a big box, taking the lens cap off, having my pocket watch to count some seconds mm -hmm. because I figured out on a, you know, but it's all just seat of my pants. I have no idea if this is gonna work, yeah. you know? You know, in 1840, like nobody knew if that was gonna work. Um, and then the idea as photography progressed of, well, how do I capture not just a broom in a doorway, but like a person. Um, and then the embodiment of the subject of mm -hmm. like, I'm going to make your, your photo, but you, I'm going to have to put you in a contraption so you don't move. <laughs> right. You know, this, and I'm going to have to wire you into place so, so that you don't move. Um, so that I can, you know, so you can hold still for three minutes while I do this exposure. Um, but like I, as cameras became smaller, more portable, uh, more accessible, you know, in the development of, of the snapshot aesthetic. Uh, I think that that's really interesting, the development of this idea of the photographer's eye. And if you look at the greats of like straight photography, this idea of the photographer capturing this sort of immediate experience, right? It's Diane Arbus in Central Park, and this is what she's saying, um, <clears throat> capturing these moments. And I, I do feel like there is a trend in a lot of digital photography, contemporary photography these days that have that sort of, we've kind of fallen back into a fantasy world because we can just process the ever-living hell out of all of the images and it gives them almost a surrealistic quality to them. Yeah. So maybe you could talk a little bit about your own sense of aesthetics and what you're trying to capture when you're looking through the viewfinder. Yeah, mm, that was an interesting question. Uh, <clears throat> okay, before I get into that, I'd like to mention um, something I find interesting in terms of uh, photography as a fetishist mm. element. I think analog is just way, all the way down the one from fetishism. It's just the object that is, is uh, while analog, I think it just tends to erase that factor, which is which is what I mentioned, you know, the history of photography is just all about the object. I think. Mm -hmm. Well, the subject, obviously. Sure. The object, the, the, the 
plates, positioning, staying there, that has been, he's there, was there. Uh, Victorian photography with dead corpses is yes. something I find fascinating. Yes. Um, so, let's say what happens now with platforms like Instagram is it's uh, well, the pictures are um, our process, you can add any kind of filters. So, in a way, it's, uh, it's not really the picture of reality. It's, it's, it's designed in a different way. It's like, mm, well, that's, I'm probably going too abstract here, but it's, it's like this kind of digital panopticon. I can't remember who mentioned that. We all see it's not the photographer. I mean, the, 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 the selfies are just not the eyes of the photographer, it's just funny. Yeah. Because they're not looking through the through the through the um viewfinder. Okay. Anyway, getting back to the viewfinder then. Um and I actually love uh, street photography. I just feel that that's my natural environment. I really enjoy just being in the market and then just taking mm -hmm. the shots sometimes. I like to go to busy places. I'd say that in Wenzhou I haven't seen so many busy places. Like let's say if you if you go up north of China where I used to live before, street markets and, and, and yeah, it's trying to capture that simplicity in a very respectful way of life. Mm -hmm. uh, people just being themselves being there. Lately I've been taking pictures of uh, buildings quite a lot because I can't notice here when you that gentrification. It's uh, it's it's huge. It's, it's yeah. And, and I see my own when you China in general. I see how this old old construction. Sometimes it's like walking into. Uh, yeah, I remember the other day I was just walking somewhere. It's just all construction site, and I thought this is just like walking in, in one of those. Uh, it just reminds me of full metal jacket, you know, like just walk <laughs> into one of these places, it's all destroyed. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in that sense, I, 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 I like to uh, kind of build an archive of, of buildings that soon disappear. Uh, some buildings that are not really, <laughs> I mean, I'd say they're not pretty, but they, they have character. That's yeah. what I like. They have this kind of way, very weird personality, and I find that interesting. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so uh, street. Um, I don't do a studio photography. Like uh, we, well, I mean, although the students when we have projects, they, they they really love playing with lights and you know mm -hmm. posing. And, but I hardly ever take pictures while I'm with the students. Um, although last uh, semester I did, I did take a digital camera and I started shooting as they were doing the the home. But I just not more like for for fun. But yeah, I mean, to me it's just a street, uh, architecture, and there's something that I like to quite a lot, um, and it's uh, experimenting with the camera itself. Like, like, um, I've done some kind of uh, playing around with the idea of the frame, like the 30 millimeters, or sometimes I just mask inside the camera. Yeah. I put a mask inside and then I start shooting like fragments, or let's say it's a take. I do eight shots from 35 millimeters, so I end up with a whole, it's one long shot. 
Yeah. It's not, it's not excluding for 35. Okay. And the idea for me is I kind of remapping the frame, the concept of the frame, which is is very relevant. Well, it's not that relevant. It's very related to the way we see, like we more or less see in around a 50 millimeter lens that's around human. But I just like to break that down. So okay, let's see if I just slice this. In. So I, I have a, I have, a, I have um, I've done some couple of projects with uh, old films and old movies. Like I did one with uh, a razor head. Yeah. So I shot pictures of a razor head uh, and I masked the film. And the idea there was it's also related to time. How we can remark time, like those images are moving, and just want to put them in twisted images in a different framing, and mm -hmm. still being able to identify. It's, I mean, it's, very, it's just really experimental. Um, I like to destroy film as well. Well, not destroy, transform. I used to say destroyer. Um, yeah, it's probably more transform, transform film, uh, chemical, salt, lemon, oil, all this stuff. It works very well with color, hmm. uh, color thing with the black and white. Uh, sometimes I have like some chemicals or scratches, and mm -hmm. see you know, what happens with the, with the image. You know, I've, I've seen some of those images on your your website. I've looked at uh, what you have online there, like your racer head project, the Apex Twins, and I. I, I find that really interesting, the idea of taking um, moving pictures, making them still pictures, fragmenting them, mm. making them in some cases unrecognizable from the, the source material. Mm -hmm. um, and I find that kind of an interesting twist on the very like foundational concept of what photography is. Right? This idea that we have this, this mechanical thing that records the world in... Uh, in minute realistic detail, right? And the whole revolution of photography was this idea that I can take a perfect portrait, a perfect landscape that is not, um, in theory anyway, through the subjectivity of a, of a painter uh, or of a draftsman. And, you know, we can argue that, you know, when you set up the camera and you look through the viewfinder, that is your subjectivity, you know, framing is itself an act of subjectivity. Um, but I, I do find it interesting, this idea of taking moving images, uh, movies, especially something like Eraserhead, which yeah. deals with reality and, <laughs> and conception and fantasy and all, and all of that, um, and arresting it, making it a, a still, um, you know, and all photography kind of does that. It takes, it, it, even very straight photography is super artificial because we don't see a split second. We see a continuity of, uh, you know, we're in this spatial uh, continuity all of the time. Um, and so there's something already incredibly artificial about the, the singular image. Um, and I don't really have a point to this. I just kind of find this interesting, the idea of taking moving <laughs> images and fragmenting, kind of drawing attention to the effect. Yeah, I, think, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like doing that. I kind of see the, 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 the point. I also think, like, well, yeah, it's just experiment. This is hmm. really more like a visual... It's also just fun, right? It's, it's <laughs> fun, you know. It's, it's fun and it's, it really makes me 
think about what we see. I was reading, well, what was that, Bergson, and he had this very peculiar idea about the cinematography. Like, actually, we actually, we have a video camera in our brain and mm -hmm. our eye, but the interesting point is that is the amount of information we discard, the human body discards, is much bigger than the one it retains. Yeah. That's why we survive. Otherwise, yeah. we're just full of images. And that's what I find interesting with the splitting the camera, the splitting the, the frame. is like, well, that's obviously there, but I don't see it. Mm -hmm. So it's just a kind of different way to see reality. I mean, I, I take a picture, but I don't see what's going on. It's just when I see what is there. But yeah, I mean, that's, that, that, that's something that I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested uh, in uh, the you know, like hacking the camera as well, like, you know, yeah. doing stuff with, with the camera, like exploring possibilities. I mean, the digital, getting back to this, I was doing infrared the other day, and it's, it's really interesting that somebody posted some digital infrared, and I go to research, and yeah, you basically need to hack the camera, the electronics inside, hmm. infrared digital, or use a filter, which is, Right. Processing. I mean, if the digital filter, not a real filter. Mm -hmm. like, well, why? I mean, why? Why do I do that? Yeah. It, it, that doesn't make sense to me. Mm. Um, yeah. Um, something else that I find interesting with the the whole process is, uh, and this is going back to the idea of the technique, the, the, the probably the ethos of. Is, uh, is really about uh, the ontological aspect of photography. Like, like, you know, if I look at the picture that I took years ago when I was doing digital, I don't remember where, <laughs> but if I look at my negatives, I can't tell you where I took the picture because it's just kind of imprinted in my head because I thought that. So I could, it just gets back to, to, to when we were kids and we look at the family album, mm -hmm. photography album, all the information was there, the stories, and, and I think that's gone now. Yeah. I think that's, and that's terrible, isn't it? Because it's our own history. It's the construction of ourselves. That's really an interesting point, because like, yeah, I remember the old family uh, album and, you know, pictures even of relatives that had died before I was born. But, you know, there was this tangible, uh, almost kind of sacred thing that you would gaze upon and hear the stories. Yeah. Well, well, that's your uncle, so and so. And yet I can look into the eyes of some of these photos and, like, feel something. And feel like a, a human connection. Yeah. Like, oh, he looks nice. Sometimes I find that, I find you know? that oh, he looks like someone I know. I, you know. I think I went to high school with that guy. Or, you know, <laughs> he, he looks nice. Oh, she seems a bit off. Like, you know, um, yeah. you, you you have a, an immediate human reaction to these these images. And that is very unsettling. Uh, it is. It <laughs> you is. Know? It is. I mean, someone, someone told me the other day that, as a good friend of mine, she said that she found... Quite disturbing that I was doing portraits of algorithms, not real humans. But yeah, I see your point. I know it's a bit disturbing because it's trying to, I mean, what's the point, really? 
I think it's interesting because, you know, kind of going back, I guess, maybe to the history of photography, this idea of wanting, you know, uh, why do I have my, my picture taken? Like, why do, why do I obsess, you know, nowadays with selfie culture? Like, what is it about needing to document my face in front of everything I see? Mm-hmm. Um, and even, you know, before social media, like, going to a photo studio, like, this was a special thing to get your portrait you know, and this idea of, of there's something kind of, um, there's something really important and emotional about a portrait, even if it's of somebody you don't know. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I can look at portraits, you know, photographic portraits of authors who lived 100 years ago, and I feel like I know them better. Yeah. Like, I feel like there's a connection when I look into their eyes of the portrait. Uh, and I think that's what's so unsettling about these uh, these algorithm images is like I want that humanity to be there. Um, and so your process of taking a portrait of these <laughs> people who don't exist, like it gives them a sort of um, it reifies the image and bestows it with a certain that's, humanity. That, that's, that's, I think that's one of the points that I would like to make. Like, okay, I'm going to put this, this person at some point existed. Yeah. And once I switch off the computer, press refresh, bang, that's it, it's gone. It's very, few, well, it's a very short existence. Uh-huh. You know, a very short lifespan, which is like 10 seconds, but yeah. But then film, now, so they must, I mean, let's say in a hundred years somebody finds those things, oh, you know, it's unconfirmed, you know, a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it speaks something also to that idea of anonymity. Like you said, like when I go to a busy train station, most of those people don't exist to me. Yeah. And so far as they're not in my way, they, they're just kind of shadows. And I guess uh, maybe that, and I to them, I'm just a shadow passing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it, it's really interesting, this idea that we can have a, a reality that is populated with these these digital shadows yeah. that can spark a human reaction, an emotional reaction that, to that us. Also, I mean, to me, that also, I feel like that's more like an ethical issue and uh, is uh, the type of data that is... Uh, used to feed those uh, algorithms. Mm-hmm. You know, interesting to uh, kind of the statistics, like survey, see how many Caucasian, Asian, Black, Latino, whatever. Yeah. That's politically incorrect as I sound, but, you know. No, I think that would be really interesting to know the data, like what type, what are the majority faces that, yeah. you know, what typological features? Uh, you know the the facial structure and you know racial characteristics, gender. Like, uh, how does is there like a curve built into the algorithm? Yeah, I mean, I, I mean that, that's uh, that, that's very. Tr- I mean, it's actually very relevant. They saw a project. This recent interactive window in Japan. Um, it's a makeup uh, company uh, business. So you see all these. Uh, Ladies with a different type of makeup, different sorts of uh, arrangements, and then you go and choose the one you want, and then you click button, and then it gives, gives you the, it does face recognition. Hmm. And based on the face recognition, it gives you a voucher in your language. 
to me, like, how can you figure out my language from the fake? I mean, it's so biased, you know, yeah. it's so freshly biased. Like, so the black person can be, you know, can't speak Spanish, you speak Africans or right. English or Chinese. So, so to me, like, so it's this Chinese person goes there and they just gives you a ticket in Japanese, like, so, you know. And I think that's 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 um, that's my biggest problem with uh, artificial intelligence. That what they tell you. Yeah. It's, it's just I mean we are feeling that. In a way, I think um, that's why social media is very clever and very dangerous because we are feeling them. I mean, we as individuals, mm-hmm. whoever decide uh, decide this algorithm, is actually well, I guess what with a small team probably so arrange data. But social media is just fake by everyone. Yeah. So I think those data races are the ones that are actually very powerful. They're actually getting real information. And it's just creepy. It is creepy. It is very because creepy. those databases are owned by major corporations, yeah. you know, who who profit from the sale trafficking of our information. Yeah. And we just give it for And we free. just freely yeah. and just get upset happy, when we can. Happily give happily happily give to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I mean, I think that's uh, that's interesting thing about the image, really. Like, maybe even, even if it's digital or it's analog, uh, it's just about the image. That yeah. The visual. Uh, yeah. I think we definitely need to keep on creating the analog. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I, mean, I just try to understand if I get if I if I if I'm trying to teach or you know to do a class on uh, film photography, these two is a bit too bored. You don't have time to waste counting seconds. There's counting time is just yeah. I I I don't know how much uh, at least our students here like have the patience. Especially when there's this culture of instant gratification, which is what social media and digital mm. gives us, right? Yeah, yeah that's, um, that's a very interesting topic. Um, and I guess that's an issue of like craftsmanship, right? Learning a craft, treating, yeah. treating art, treating photography as a craft that you have to hone and learn. And I think that's something that is uh, common in you know, all form of craft, let's say painting, mm-hmm. the process of painting, the, the act of painting, the whole process of not me painting but me going to paint. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to paint something. That's very to me it's very different to oh I'm painting. So I'm gonna miss a huge amount of work I've done before I start painting. Right. And taking a picture is uh, similar and then developing. Like I was developing color the other day and I was mixing and I spent about six hours mixing. It's like, and what's the point of this? And then I, I spent about six, seven hours just to get the, to get 20, not even 24 pictures. And it's like, okay, this, this is why. Because I have pictures because they look good, the color is good. Okay, not all of them are good, but so I think I think the the 
the idea of thinking the process carefully is uh, what uh, enriches creativity. Yeah. And you know, again, I'm not expecting anybody getting back to one of at all. Because you know, that's the point. But next time you take a lead, I kind of think about yeah. how easy life is and how hard it could be. Although I prefer the hard life, so keep on shooting film. This <laughs> is getting more popular, actually. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask when we were talking earlier about um, walking around with the camera, embodiment, and all of that. Um, you've been in China for several years now, yeah. for quite a while. Um, can you talk a little bit about that experience of being a foreigner in China, where there is kind of a, uh, you know, when you're you're obviously not Chinese mm. and you're walking through, I find at least especially in Wenzhou, because there's not a big expat community here. You know, you stick out like a sore thumb and you get some attention, um, some of it positive, some of it negative. Um, can you talk about any experiences you've had being a foreigner in China with a big honking camera pointing yeah. it at people? Like, has there been um, like kind of a pushback or... I think... I mean, in general, I think Chinese is a great place for street photography. Yeah. It's, I mean, people are... Well, the thing is that you have to be very careful when you do street photography. And I guess there are places that are good for that. Like, I, for instance, I would say uh, Berlin is a great place for a street photography. Yeah. You can go free, take your picture, no one cares. <laughs> Uh, even if they see you, because they, the idea to me is that they don't see you. Okay? Because this kind of stealthy thing that you should have in a way, like you're kind of stealing something from you. That, that little thing that you, you didn't see me when I took the picture, but I have it with me now. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a bit cheeky, but well, it's actually very cheeky. But that's the thing. I, but in general, like, I, well, Wenjou is different, I have to say. When you said that there's not a big uh, expert community, and uh, yeah, but let's say uh, all the places in China they're super friendly, uh, taking pictures in the underground. Uh, there's something that I do quite often is I don't, I just take a, like the camera and I don't look to the viewfinder, so I just kind of figure yeah. out what's going to happen. You know, it requires space. It's a really interesting exercise because you need to think, and again, it, it requires embodiment. You need to understand, you know, the distance. And you have to know you're how you're holding how it. How you or... hold the camera and what the camera. You need to guess what the camera is looking at. But I still think that's my eye, mm -hmm. kind of figuring out. So, yeah, I mean, the tricks like take the picture, but you don't take the camera away from you. So the person think that you're taking a picture of someone else in the distance. Right. Uh, or just uh, with these rolly flakes, I just turn it around and just look at the front, and I'm just looking at the viewfinder and I take a picture of my left or right side. And it works. But in general, I've never had any problem in China. It's very friendly. It's a great place for photography. Maybe once in Beijing, somebody almost uh, made me swallow the camera, but. <laughs> Yeah, nothing happened. The other day there was a guy uh, around Umar. Yeah. I was taking pictures and um, 
PLC, the lackey, and he came and a whole bunch of old people came around, right? Ganged up and but I just, you know, speak a little bit of Chinese so I just, oh man, it's okay, it's okay. Oh, okay. They, they wanna see the beach and I can't show it picture. This is this right. this is film, this is film camera, it's a very old camera. Yeah, we just end up having a laugh. But it was quite aggressive in the beginning, but mm. uh, yeah, and it's usually I think it's just like they just like this kind of coming around, see oh yeah. now why, what's it now why doing the camera? And I, I just kind of wondered if you'd ever experienced like trying to get some nice candid street shots and uh, having people like, oh, there's a there's a guy with a camera pointed yeah. at me and, and kind of that recognition. I, I mean, I've certainly seen some of your images, your street images, where people are looking right at your camera. Yeah. Um, and so do you find that people are just like, oh, he's taking my picture, whatever? Yeah, uh, I, they I just kind of shrug it off. How, or? how many I think I probably have. In a way, it's like I, I take the picture because I, I find it interesting or I'm curious. It's just mm-hmm. out of curiosity. Yeah. And I take the picture, but, so there's, there's a care from my side. Like I, I believe, you know, 20 people, but I think there's something that I find interesting. Thanks. But I don't really care about you, so I'll take a picture if you don't like it, you know. So it's, 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 it's a contradiction there, like, yeah, yeah. I like you, but I don't care if you, if you get angry or not. Uh, this is what I do. <laughs> I think that's Bruce Gilden who was talking about that. I mean, I mean, it comes across as a... I mean, there's a kind of arrogance there, right? It is a lot of arrogance. Yeah, of course, it's like, okay, I'll take a picture. You don't like it. Yeah. So it's not about you, right? It is not about you, but at the same time, it's all about the person mm-hmm. because it's, I'm taking the picture. Um, but I, there's there's a guy near Xinjiang. He's a kind of wooden box. I guess he's a homeless guy. And uh, I took a picture about two years ago, and I saw him the other day, and I was just took like twenty pictures. Um, he was super fine. But first he said, no, I'm like, no, just one more, one more, one more, one more. And then he offered me cigarettes and they were like, you know, having a chat with the guy. Nice. Nice. And I haven't really done anything with the pictures. Like, <laughs> I still have them there, but I haven't really sat down and do anything with those images. But, um, yeah, I think in general it's a good experience. And um, it's, I don't think because he's Asian, because Japan is the same. Yeah. Japan, you can take pictures. Uh, uh, South Asia, that's okay. In Europe, some places, uh, okay. But I kind of I feel a little bit more apprehensive if yeah. I take a picture, let's say, in Madrid, like maybe this woman's gonna get angry or maybe this guy might not like, and then you're gonna get, uh, gonna get in trouble for doing this. And, but I think that's a risk that we. Yeah. I ended up having dinner with a whole bunch of uh, ladies in the Buddhist temple just because I went taking pictures and they were just, they were having dinner and they just, you know, <laughs> you know, that's fun. Forget about the camera, this, this yeah. practice with the Chinese with these ladies. It was fun. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's just part of the, of the, of the photography, the, the exercise of photography. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, we've been talking for almost an hour, so oh. let's, 
Um, is there anything like else in particular you'd like to uh, talk about or bring up or um, any points you'd like to circle back to? Or? Yeah, I'll probably say, uh, probably stress on the fact that the film photography, that I, I like film photography because it forces me to think. Yeah. That's, uh, that's something that I mentioned before, the computational data that machine, digital machine gives me kind of slows down my mental process and this is something that I'm very against. Yeah. Uh, could be my limitation in terms of someone else could say, oh, but all this data I can do something more with that, which, yeah, um, yeah which is possible. I mean, it's possible because it's valid and it's, it's, it's great and there's nothing wrong with that. But I really, I really think that, um, especially nowadays, and only with photography, but I guess with painting or drawing or sculpting, uh, it is, we, we know we could join the machine now, yeah. but we need to, we, we need to understand, we need to know that we are here, physical, in a physical space and the machines still not, they still lack that awareness of inhabiting the physical place. Um, I saw I saw Matthew the other day sculpting with VR. Yeah. And this is just like wow, this is great, but I just don't know how to really sculpt it. So I probably need to I need to buy clay and do it myself right. to understand how this machine how this machine works. And I think that's the way to that's the way to go. We still uh, you know, as much as we would like to have like a chip implanted in our brain, okay, which language do you want to learn today? Oh, German. Okay, mm -hmm. anyway, that's your chip put in there. Great, the information is there, but I don't think it's a, it's a, it's a learning process. And the learning process is when it reaches the whole view of the world. Mm -hmm. like learning another language, for instance, you start get, start getting different ideas of all. So, so the Chinese thing that this word means that oh that's interesting never never occurred to me or yeah so that's 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 uh, like to you know to wrap up my my position with digital is is it it is a very complex system that makes things easy but also slows down process that I should be in charge of while while the film is such a simple thing, you know, you need aperture speed and ISO and then well, what are you gonna do with that? Three things. Yeah. Do something. Something good with that. And it seems like it, it, it's all coming down to like recognizing that we are physical objects in physical space. Like that's literally what a human is. Yeah. I'm a biochemical sack of meat and I walk around in physical space mm -hmm. um, and I experience time in this sort of subjective ebb and flow and maybe part of the mystery of photography like Roland Bart talks about is this idea of, of taking a slice of that time and you know you mentioned Bergson and Bergson's concept of uh, memory and how the the present is annihilated 
um, you know, in that process of annihilation of the new present, like it becomes memory. Um, and it's sort of filed in our brain and subjectively categorized. Good. And you discarded that. Yeah. We never know if it's discarded or not. No, we don't know. We have like a, a shadow, a remnant yeah. that is a memory yeah. uh, that is immediately sort of categorized good, bad, happy, sad, whatever. Um, but like the, the past being continuously annihilated by the present in, in Bergson's concept of, of time and how photography in a weird way interrupts that process, right? By giving me this, this tiny slice of a present that is no more um, yeah. and allowing us to see a present that our eyes and brains were never really supposed to process. Because that's, you know, yeah. and, and that's the revolutionary nature of photography. Kind of very very yeah. clear way to put it. You know, and, and, yeah. um, and not that you can't do that with, with a lot of the digital processes. I mean, you're still taking a still image mm -hmm. of the present moment. But I do think there's something that, as humans, we're just hardwired to interact with a physical thing. Yeah. Wait, there's there's something very primal. That's something that I, uh, in a way, I think that uh, technology and artificial intelligence, intelligence is very primitive. I was listening to this uh, professor the other day, and she said that the most uh, advanced uh, artificial intelligence system has the brain power of a worm. <laughs> like, well, which is, I mean, which is marvelous. Uh -huh. Okay, one can reproduce itself and survive. That's fantastic. Mm -hmm. To me, like, wow, this is a lot, but looks bad, but it's actually amazing. Uh, and the way you understand, so she was explaining, like, you know, the way they, they give the task, like, move from A to B, and you just do all these waywards, right, to move. Okay? okay, you understand the goal, but the process is just, you know, they're formulating the wrong question. Hmm. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's all this kind of, uh, you know, the relation with the body. I think, I think the most logical step is just to embed artificial intelligence, intelligence in the human body. Mm. Because, I mean, like, uh, Neuralink and this, uh, this is another project, uh, I forgot the name, the, 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 the whole idea is just to download consciousness into, I don't know, hard drive. But it just brings the question, what's consciousness? Where is the question? Where is the memory? Yeah. I mean, that was, brain is just, it's there. And, you know. and doesn't that ignore the fact that, like, we're, we're a consciousness in a body? <laughs> like, yeah. it, this is, you know, uh, Merleau-Ponty, this is the physicality yeah. of my lived experience. Yeah. Is I am not a, a, a consciousness floating around. I'm not a ghost, a spirit. Like I'm, I'm this fleshy thing. Yeah. You know, uh, I am an object in time and space. Yeah, and, and that's and that's where you know that's what. Uh, and if you make this know, makes the whole, this process an algorithm and put it on a computer, yeah, like what have you it, done? It, ma it makes the whole sense of uh, the self and, and being. That's probably more related back to uh, Heidegger. You know, yeah. That makes that. That being different because uh, it reminds me of um, how yeah. in space, obviously. Because I mean, to me, it's like okay, that's that's actually there's a being inside the computer. It's actually worried about being disconnected. It's actually worried about emission. And it's actually it's, it understands that 
if if the astronaut disconnects and you will disappear. So it's, it's a way of existence. And I I just find that okay, that's that's intelligence. Mm -hmm. That's a form of intelligence. And it should be able to reproduce organic or non-organic production, it should be able to continue mm -hmm. as human humans. Well technically I think we are heading toward the structure, but that's probably part of the program. <laughs> we don't know. Yeah. Maybe the next logical step is that we are actually an organ of technology. Yeah. You know, that's a lot of speculation about yeah, maybe maybe we have to be here for two or three thousand years in order to develop machines and then we disappear. Yeah, I mean or we become like cats, like little pets and we stay <laughs> stay at home. <laughs> We stay at home and take selfies. Uh, yeah. And yeah, it's a lot of <laughs> filters, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this was a, a great conversation. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I was a bit nervous, but yeah. No, I, I mean, I knew that you and I could talk theory and philosophy, and I'm, I'm just really glad that we talked about the physicality of it. Because, you know, in my opinion, like, that's what makes art art is the physical presence and feeling of it so yes thank you very much for taking this time um, and um, yeah I really really appreciate it thanks thanks for the invitation I found it a few quick notes before we conclude today's podcast I will include links to Fernie's website and several other places where you can view his work in the description notes to this episode. I will also include links to the AI project that you heard us discuss. It is very fascinating and I encourage you to check it out. Thank you for listening to the Arts Undone podcast. Arts Undone is a blog and podcast covering all things art and can be found at my website, erin-schwartz.com, E-R-I-N-S-C-H-W-A-R-T-Z.com. You can connect with me on social media. I'm on Twitter at Arts Undone. I'm on Instagram at Arts Undone. And I'm on Facebook at Arts Undone. And guess what? I have a Discord server as well. Please reach out to me if you would like an invite to our Discord server for all things conversation about art, contemporary art, meanings, and markets. In the near future, please look forward to the opening of the Arts Undone Patreon. Details soon to follow. Thank you for listening to the Arts Undone podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Aaron Schwartz.